When we think about living the Christian life, it can be helpful to us if we have godly examples, people that we can look at and see how they lived in order to see how we should live. But we live in a day and age where there's great ignorance of godly men and women, examples of, of the Christian life. People just don't read the Bible. They don't see those examples. And we also live in an age which exalts uh, what uh, some people call anti-heroes. Uh, books and movies have heroes whose characters are dark and demonic. And yet they're held up uh, as something to entertain us or even to be an example to us. Uh, people whose lives and moral behavior is terrible. Now, it's true that many of the characters that we look at in the scriptures, uh, even the leading characters in the Bible, lived lives that had major flaws in them. You can think of Samson or David or even in the New Testament, someone like Peter. But their flaws were not celebrated they were condemned. They were brought out so that we could see the mistakes they made. Uh, they were brought out so that those people themselves could be brought to repentance and redemption. So uh, we realize that as we look into the scriptures, we're not going to find a perfect example. But we're going to look at some people today that... Uh, didn't ha at least in the part, the uh, sections of scripture that uh, are given to us that we're looking at, you don't see many flaws. What I'd like to do this morning is look at some of the godly character traits in the life of Daniel and his three friends, and I'm doing that by way of encouraging the attributes that we see in their lives, in our own lives, and if you're a parent, these would be things to. Uh, encourage in the lives of your children. So we're going to be looking in the book of Daniel today. Uh, quite a few different sections, but uh, at least to begin with, and the main part that I want to deal with is in chapter 1. <clears throat> so I've asked Jim Kelly to come and read to us chapter 1. This will save my voice a little bit and also keep me from stumbling over some of these biblical names. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, 
who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah, Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and in the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for the matter as for every matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Thank you, Jim. Well, first, maybe I could just give a little 
background, historical background here. The setting for the life of Daniel was the decline and fall of the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. This was a time called the Babylonian captivity because the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar had conquered Judah and had taken many of the Jewish people captive to Babylon. Daniel and his friends were part of that first group that were taken captive, which would be around 606 B.C. So we're talking about 600 years before the time of Christ. Later in 597, Nebuchadnezzar crushed a new rebellion in Judah, took more captives, and then in 586, he burned Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. So that's the setting. Here you have these Jewish people in exile. And uh, Daniel was taken away as a youth, as probably a teenager. And he remained in Babylon the rest of his life, serving under four different rulers in that area. During this time, Babylon ruled the world. Uh, we have to get a feel for what Daniel's, the situation he was put in. Uh, this was the wonder city of the ancient world. Magnificent palaces, temples, the hanging gardens of Babylon. You've heard of those, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Nebuchadnezzar built those. Uh, it was probably the most advanced civilization in the world at that time with advanced science and mathematics. So here you have an amazing, uh, attractive, uh, majestic city that uh, Daniel and these three friends of his were brought into. But it was a city given over to pride and the worship of false gods they were actually polytheists. In other words, they worshipped many, many gods. In fact, within Babylon itself, it was a huge city. There was something like 1,100 temples to all these different gods. And when I say it was a huge city, the walls around the city was, it was basically set out as a square, and the, the walls on one side were 14 miles long. That's just one side. The walls were... 25 feet thick. It was a huge, magnificent place. I just I was thinking, you know, we, we drive up to Greentop. That's 10 miles. The one side of this city was 14 miles long. So this is a huge, magnificent place that uh, Daniel was brought to as a young man. It was a wonder city, but it was a wicked city. So that's the setting that this man, Daniel, was brought to. His name means God is my judge. That's what Daniel, L, the E-L is God. Daniel means God is my judge. So here he was in a city of false gods, and yet we know that he was a unique young man. God is my judge. Separated from his land, his people, his parents, what would he do? What would these other Jewish, uh, his companions, uh, how would they conduct themselves? The answer is that Daniel and his friends modeled living as 
God's people in a pagan world. They're an extremely good example of how to live in a pagan world. Now, I say all this to say that this is the situation that we more and more find ourselves in here in our current culture, surrounded by false religion and ungodliness. So, this should be a good incentive for us to look at these lives and see how they lived so that we can see how we should be living in our current setting. I think it's worth considering some of the prominent features of their characters. Um, here's four young men that walked with God in a situation that seems like their lives would have been shattered. Uh, again, think of this. These, maybe they were 15, 16, 17, somewhere in that age uh, they were put in this situation. So, uh, like I said, we're going to look at chapter 1 that Jim read, but we'll also be jumping around quite a bit in the book, and I hope it's not too hard to follow. I wanted to give you just a very short summary of the whole book, uh, about three minutes. <laughs> I got this from a man named John Lennox, who uh, had some teaching on the book of Daniel. I really appreciate anything that I've seen by this man, John Lennox. He's actually a mathematician at Oxford, but uh, he's a godly man. Anyway, he brings out that chapter 1 deals with the, these exiles being brought to Babylon and how Daniel refuses to eat the king's food. So that's chapter 1. Chapter 2 is Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he threatens to kill all the wise men, which Daniel and his three companions were part of this group of wise men, if they can't not only interpret the dream, but tell him the dream that he had. Nebuchadnezzar said, I want you to tell me the dream I had and then interpret it. So that's chapter 2. Uh, chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a colossal image to be worshipped. That's where the three companions of Daniel refuse to bow down and worship that image and are thrown into the fiery furnace. Chapter 4 uh, is another dream that Nebuchadnezzar has of a great tree that gets chopped down. Daniel interprets that dream as that tree being Nebuchadnezzar himself. He's about to be cut down for his pride. And if you remember, he goes out and eats grass like a cow for a while. Uh, but God restores him. The next chapter, chapter 5, is a, a later king, Belshazzar. Not Belteshazzar like Daniel was named, but Belshazzar. Uh, he's another proud king in Babylon. He has this big feast where they use the vessels of, that they had stolen out of Jerusalem to basically mock God and just uh, carry on in a very sinful way. Well, he's cut down, but he's not restored. He's cut down by a, another king named Darius, who is actually a Mede, and that's kind of there's a change over Babylon changes over to being uh, taken uh, being controlled by the Medes and the Persians so then you have but Daniel's still there you see this is another king Darius uh, that's the king that he decrees that everybody should pray to him for the next month everybody's supposed to pray to him Daniel continues praying the way he's always prayed to, to the God of heaven and it gets thrown in the lion's den. 
So those are, you know, those are some of the famous stories that we're familiar of in the book of Daniel. Seven, chapter 7 and 8 are visions that Daniel had. Chapter 9, we find Daniel reading in the book of Jeremiah. He tells what he read there about the, the, that they're only going to be in Jerusalem for 70 years or in, in Babylon for 70 years and then the exiles are going to get to return to Jerusalem. So he's reading, Daniel's reading the scriptures and then he prays about what he reads. That's all in chapter 9. Verses 10, 11, and 12, or chapters 10, 11, and 12 are revelations that Daniel has of the future times and of the end times. So that's, that's kind of a broad, uh, quick view of this book of Daniel. So <clears throat> what we want to do here this morning by the grace of God, is just to look at some of the characteristics in the lives of Daniel and these three friends of his. Um, so we'll start out in chapter 1. I would say that probably the first characteristic that stands out when we read this account is that, the, that Daniel and his friends feared God. They feared God. Remember Daniel's name. God is my judge. Um, you see there in verse 8, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So you see, right off the bat, he takes a stand. He said, I'm not going to defile myself with this food. Now, why was that? Well, some people say, well, it was just not kosher food. You know, the, the uh, Jews had all these dietary laws. But there's more to it than that because he wouldn't drink the king's wine either. And wine was something that Jewish people could uh, partake of in moderation. I think that it's probably the, the case that these food and this wine was dedicated to the false gods these false gods of Babylon, and, and Daniel knew that and therefore did not want to defile himself uh, with those things. Now, it took courage to take that stand. It took boldness. It took integrity. But because Daniel and his friends feared God more than man, they made up their minds not to defile themselves. They feared displeasing God more than they feared displeasing man. They lived their lives consciously under the eye of God, which I think is pretty much a description of what it means to fear God. You live your life consciously under the eye of God. You know that God is watching your life. So I think it's important, too, to realize that Daniel took this stand from the start, from the beginning of his time there. When we go into new situations, say at work or at school, there will be, there will be pressure to conform to the ways of the world, conform to that situation. So we need to purpose in our minds to start out with taking a stand against defiling ourselves we must purpose in the fear of God to keep a good conscience in that situation that God puts us in, not to be defiled. In other words, I would say this as far as 
the fear of God, we fight the fear of man with the reverential fear of God. So, we said that Daniel's name means God is my judge. Now, names meant a lot back in the ancient time, in the ancient world's world. Daniel's identity was incorporated in his name, you see. His life was defined by God. God is my judge. His identity was wrapped up in his name. So it's worth noting that the Babylonians gave him a different name. Back in verse 7, it says, The commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar. Now, that's significant because Daniel, L, had the name of God in it. This name, Belteshazzar, had the name of a false god. One of the main false gods of Babylon was Bel, B-E-L. And so that was, that was the name they gave Daniel. Uh, his name then was to be uh, incorporated in, uh, it was to incorporate the name of this false god, Bel. Which means, Daniel's name, Belteshazzar, means Bel, protect his life. So they assigned him a new name. They're trying to change his identity, you see. They assigned him a new name. But in his heart, he always remained Daniel knowing that God was his judge and that the one who really protected him was not Bel, but El, God, Daniel, the true God. Uh, This was his true identity, you see. Now, I want to draw something from that. Whatever culture we're in will try to give us an identity according to the worldview of that culture. They'll try to put that identity on you. Uh, young people, this is true. You've been raised in a Christian home. Some of you have made professions of uh, faith in Christ. If you go off to another area to live when you get a little older or go off to school, there will be people who try to give you a new identity. They'll say to you, you're not a child of God. You're not made in His image. In fact, you came about by chance, you're a product of matter and energy that has evolved over millions of years. See, they're trying to give you a new identity, change what you think about yourself and who you are. Now, you can learn those things in that new setting. Daniel and his, his companions learned the culture of the Babylonians, but they didn't believe those things. You can learn those things, but in your heart, you have to hold to your true identity. And your true identity, your true name is, I'm a Christian. That's who I am. I'm a follower of Christ. You know, as you read through this book, it actually seems that the pagan name uh, that was given to Daniel didn't continue to be used through the second half of the book. You could trace that. Well, let's just look real quick here. In chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, 
this is talking here about, but this is actually the queen uh, of a later, one of these later uh, kings, Belshazzar, uh, says, he says, uh, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom was given uh, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. Uh, anyway, verse 12, this was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Let Daniel now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king spoke and said, Daniel. See that? <laughs> Didn't call him by that other name. Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah who my father, the king, brought in from Judah? And then uh, chapter 6 and verse 13. This is when he's in the lion's den. 6.13. Well, this is right before that. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petitions three times a day. So they hear these uh, people are calling in Daniel, and then when later on, when the king calls to him in the lion's den, in verse 20, and when he had come near, uh, near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a, a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? I'm saying all that just to say that I think Daniel's consistent God-fearing lifestyle caused that name to fall away. They just quit using it. In fact, Daniel's name outlives the empire. So, just keep walking with God. Don't listen to what the world wants to tell you you are. You be who God made you. Keep walking, and they'll see. They'll realize there's something different about this guy. He determined to do what was right in God's sight because he had this fear of God, this reverential fear of God. We're told in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And also, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. David had a strong confidence. Daniel had a strong confidence throughout this time. In the fear of the Lord, there is, is a strong confidence. With a godly fear, it's possible to serve God even in Babylon. If you have the fear of God, you can serve God in the midst of uh, an ungodly worldly system. Also, they'll see that there's something different about you. That uh, this is something, there's something about this man and the God that he serves that's different than us and the gods that we serve. The real issue, even when you're living in Babylon, is not what city you live in, but what city you live for. And there's really only two cities 
the city of man and the city of God, basically symbolized by Babylon and Jerusalem. And we'll see here in a little bit, Daniel was living in Babylon, but in the place where he lived, the little apartment that he lived, he kept his windows open toward Jerusalem. See, he was living in Babylon, but he was living for Jerusalem. So, the fear of God, that's the first thing we see about Daniel and his companions. Next, we see some attributes that seem almost the opposite of this first characteristic. That is, Daniel was courteous, tactful, and gracious towards his captors. In our desire to please God, we must also treat others with respect, giving honor to whom honor is due. You see this back, well, we read it there in in chapter 1, verse 8. He sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He didn't just say, I'm not going to defile myself, you idiot, or something like that. He sought permission. Uh, Verse 12, it says, please test your servants for 10 days. He's talking to this official. He says, please test us in this. Just let me eat these vegetables. So what was he doing there? Well, I think he was displaying a respect for his captors, and that had a positive effect upon this man that that, uh, he was talking to. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. So what am I saying? I'm saying it's important to listen to others and try to understand their position. Even in the middle of Babylon, you should do that with the people you're, you're dealing with. Try to understand their position, why they think the way they do. Daniel was sensitive to this official's difficult position. If Daniel shows up before the king looking haggard, this guy loses his head. So Daniel says, let's do a little scientific investigation here. I'm in the middle of a bunch of people that like science a lot. Let's run a little test. And, of course, he explains that uh, I'll eat the vegetables for 10 days, and you can see how I do in in, uh, comparison with the other group. So they do that, and uh, Daniel is looking better than the others. The point is is that uh, he's not unkind or unloving or disrespectful to this official. If we do that, we may dishonor, if we come across as unkind or disrespectful, we may dishonor the God whom we're seeking to serve. A clean life, a warm friendliness, a truthful, tactful attitude will bring more honor to Christ than any attitude of superior righteousness or being obstinate. We're just trying to learn how to live the Christian life here in a pagan society, you see, using these, these men as examples. We're told in the New Testament that wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. You're unwavering, But at the same time, you're peaceful, you're gentle, you're reasonable. Uh, The King James says, willing to yield. Uh, I think there's a good example of this as we look through the book of Daniel. In the way the king was addressed. 
This, there was a custom of the time to use this phrase, O king, live forever. O king, live forever. Something like uh, in England they used to say, long live the king or queen. Well, that's a common phrase at the, in this culture toward the king. You see at chapter 2, verse 4, the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. That's the way you address the king. Uh, chapter 3, verse 9, they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, O king, live forever. And then they went on and spoke. And then even the queen herself, chapter 5, verse 10, this is a, the king after Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. Uh, the queen, when she comes in to talk to the king, uh, 5.10, the queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. So I spent a little time just showing that that was the common phrase. Well, the, okay, so here's these Jewish guys. They can say, I'm not going to say, O king, live forever to this pagan ungodly guy, but that's not the attitude they took. Check, uh, for instance, Daniel chapter 6, verse 21. Here's Daniel in the lion's den, and the king comes and uh, cries out, you know, are you still alive, Daniel? How does Daniel uh, address him? Verse 21 of chapter 6. Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. So uh, he was willing to willing to yield a little here and use this phrase that was uh, a common way of addressing the king, not to make a big issue out of something like that. Better to be a peacemaker than a troublemaker on something like this. I'm trying to just say we we have to kind of learn how to interact in these situations to take a stand on things we need to and not to make issues on things we don't need to. So uh, just in this area of being tactful, right along with that, we also see that Daniel and his friends were prudent. Prudence is to be wise in handling practical matters, sensible, careful about our conduct, thinking things through. Verses 12 and 13, in verses 12 and 13, we see that Daniel and his friends didn't just say no to this thing of eating this food, the defiled food, or the food that would defile them. Uh, They didn't just say no, they had a plan of action. They thought before they spoke. So they were prudent in this. Prudence includes reasoning, preparation, caution, and being responsible for our actions. Rash, rushed judgments often dishonor God. They could have said, I'm just not going to eat that food. But they didn't do that. They thought things through and had a plan of action here. Proverbs 27:12 said, A prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Also, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So, the mind acquires knowledge. That means you think. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. That means you listen. 
think and listen. Two big areas that Christians need to be exemplary in. Thinking and listening. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. We should be people who ponder how to answer, not just shoot, shoot off our mouth first thing that comes into our head. The righteous ponders how to answer. That's what Daniel and his friends did. They thought this thing through, came up with a plan, and then acted looking to God. So prudence. Closely aligned to this area of prudence is the pursuit of excellence. Chapter back in chapter one, verses seventeen through twenty. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then, at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them and out. Uh, out of them all, out of all these people that he was talking to, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service, and it said they were ten times better than the others. Now, we're tempted to say, well, God just just made that happen like that. Uh, But I think, actually, we see here that... uh, they pursued these things. God just didn't pour all this information into their minds. Uh, now it's true, much of what was given, what they were able to tell the king, was supernatural. But that does not mean that God just somehow, instantaneously, poured all this into their brain, uh, all the things that they had to learn about the Chaldean language and literature. They pursued these. They studied three years. They were studying this stuff before they appeared before the king. They worked hard to learn about this new culture they were part of. They weren't lax or lazy, but diligent in the situation that God had providentially put them in. They knew God had put them there, and so they excelled in where God had put them. They were able to understand this culture without becoming tools of the tyrants that were in charge of the culture. In demonstrating a desire to excel, they were able to exert a godly influence in an ungodly culture. If we'll excel in the field that God puts us in, we can, we can have an influence in the culture around us. I'm just saying we're not supposed to be lax or lazy in life. They used the natural gifts that God gave them. And as a result, God gave them additional supernatural gifts. And he gave them an amazing influence in this society. That wouldn't have happened if Daniel and his friends would have taken a half-hearted attitude towards what they were being taught. If they would have said something like, I don't care about this sinful culture and I'm not going to learn this foolishness, that they wouldn't have had the influence they did in that culture. These men did the best with the gifts that God and the gifts 
and abilities that God had given them in a very difficult situation, and God blessed them. So they pursued, as they pursued God, they pursued excellence in the place that God put them. 1 Corinthians 10.13 said, Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, truly do it with all your might. Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So what am I saying? I'm saying in our jobs, in our work, we should, we should view what we're doing as an offering to God. Our work is part of our worship. We shouldn't give second best in any area of our life. We should pursue excellence. I'm not talking about perfection. I am talking about trying to do a good job. Don't be shoddy in the service that God's put us in. Imperfection remains part of our life. We're not uh, going to be perfect in what we do. But we should seek to be people who genuinely desire to worship God in all that we do. People who seek to do a good job uh, are honoring God. That attitude will be a testimony and a witness to the watching world. These, these guys were a testimony. They studied for those 10 years. God gave them help. And by the time they appeared before Nebuchadnezzar, he says, these guys are 10 times better than anybody else in my service. Now, in all of this that I've said, I really think that Daniel and his friends were trying to apply what the prophet Jeremiah had written to the exiles concerning their attitude toward their life in this new land of Babylon. I want to I read that to you. Uh, you could, it might be good to turn to it. This is in Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah told the Jewish people, that they were going to be overrun because of their sins and that some would be taken off into exile in Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied this. And this is back in, uh, well, it's all through the book of Jeremiah, but here, what the, the amazing thing is is that Jeremiah says to these exiles, once this began to happen, he writes a letter to the exiles and tells them that they should seek Babylon's welfare. In this is chapter 29, in whatever area they could conscientiously do that. Now let's look at this. Now I say this is amazing, you see. Here they're going into this pagan land and Jeremiah writes to the exiles, people like Daniel and the others, and says, you need to seek the welfare of this land you're going to. You need to pray for these people. Okay, um, chapter 29 of Jeremiah, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah, the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the, to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem 
to Babylon. And if you skip down to verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give, and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. And now here's this amazing verse. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will have welfare. This is amazing. But this is the attitude we should have right now in our life. Seek the welfare of the land that God's put us in because in its welfare you, you'll have your welfare. Um, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not of calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So they're told to seek the welfare of this city, this Babylon, and pray for it. We know for sure that Daniel read this portion of Jeremiah. We know he did, because he tells about it. If you turn back now to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. In verse, verses 2 and 3, this is in the, king, in the reign of Darius. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which were revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. That's what we just read. He read this in, in Jeremiah, there's going to be 70 years and then you'll return. So he says, I read this in, uh, as I'm searching the books, the scriptures. I read this from Jeremiah, the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And then there's the rest of this whole rest of this chapter is this prayer of, of Daniel. So, right here I think we see two other very important characteristics of Daniel's life. He spent time in the Word of God and he spent time in prayer. We're talking about characteristics that we should have in our lives if we're going to make it in a pagan world. Well, these are two big things. In an environment of unbelief, 
like the Babylonian culture? How did these Hebrews, these these young guys, or they're older by this time, how did they keep the pagan world from squeezing, squeezing them into its mold? How did they keep reality in view with all this stuff all around them, all these things that could have, could get them off track. How do they keep reality in view? Well, God has provided two primary ways to keep us from being deceived or deviating from his way. The first is his word. We just read Daniel's reading in the prophet Jeremiah. His word, God's word, is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. It's obvious that Daniel was a student of God's word. He diligently studied it. Though he had many responsibilities here as a government official under these various kings, nevertheless, he did not neglect the word of God. And I, we can say this, habitual study of the word of God has been the instrument that has been used by the Holy Spirit down through the ages to inform and transform God's people. How shall a young man keep his way pure? by keeping it according to thy word. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is what kept Daniel hiding God's word in his heart, studying God's word. Surely this is one of the main ways these men kept themselves pure in an impure culture. And along with that, when he, when he read these things from the prophet Daniel, he prayed. He began to pray about these things. So the second thing, prayer, the word of God and prayer. We find this in many situations throughout the book of Daniel. We see him and his friends praying for wisdom and protection and discernment. One example is in chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar made this astonishing request that his wise men not only tell him the interpretation of the dream, but tell him the very dream that he had. And, of course, the, the wise men, the enchanters, uh, they said, nobody can do that. The conjurers and sorcerers said, not a man on earth, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter to the king, insomuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of his magicians, conjurers, or Chaldeans. You tell us your dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar said, well, ah, wait a minute. If you're so good... You tell me the dream and the interpretation. Well, they were in trouble. <laughs> so the king gets angry and gives a command to have all the wise men of Babylon killed. That would include Daniel and his friends. So what, what's Daniel do? He calls a prayer meeting. Let's look back at chapter 2. I know we're jumping all around here, but... Hopefully you can follow. Chapter 2, verse 16. Now this is when uh, Daniel's told, you know, he's going to have all you wise men killed because nobody can tell him his dream and interpretation. So verse 16. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, in order that they might request compassion from God, 
God of heaven, concerning this mystery, so Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And God shows him, they pray, God shows him, and, and Daniel praises, you know, continues with his prayer by thanking God for showing him uh, what the dream was and what the uh, interpre- interpretation is. Um, verses 20 through 23 is the, the prayer that uh, the praise that, that uh, Daniel gives in answer to their prayer. But the point is, when they're in a bind, he calls his friends together and they pray. <clears throat> they prayed for grace to help in time of need. And when God answered their prayer, he prayed again with thanksgiving. Now, again, you just got to put yourself in this situation. You know, we read these things, but we don't feel the weight of them sometimes. Here was the king, Nebuchadnezzar, of a vast and mighty empire, and he could have these wise men killed just the snap of his fingers, kill them all. What are four Hebrew young people going to do? What, what, what effect can you have on this mighty empire and this, this king that has so much power? Well, you go to the one who has all power. You, start, you pray to the almighty one. You pray to God, and, and things change. History changes. These four young guys change history by getting together for prayer in this situation. In fact, the king actually ends up bowing down to Daniel. Amazing. Uh, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel comes in and tells him the dreams and tells him the interpretation. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and fragrant incense. So here you have the, the mightiest man in the world at that time bowing down to this young Jewish man. God changes things through prayer. And prayer was the consistent pattern of Daniel's life. Later, when his enemies tried to trap him by getting this King Darius to pass a decree that made it illegal to petition anybody but the king, couldn't pray to anybody but the king, uh, on the penalty of being thrown in the lion's den, what does Daniel do? He keeps right on praying the way he's always been praying throughout his life. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this document that said you can't pray to anybody but King Darius for the next month, and that if you did, if you were caught doing that, into the lion's den you go. Now when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he entered his house, now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God, as had been as he had been doing previously. This was a pattern. The reason I read that is this was a pattern of his life. Prayer was a pattern in his life. He'd always been going up to this room, opening his windows towards Jerusalem, and praying.
three times a day. He just kept on. Of course, he ended up in the lion's den, but God protected him. God took care of him. <clears throat> so this was a pattern. There was a pattern of prayer throughout his life that he was not going to allow anything to keep him from. Uh, when he learned about that 70 years of captivity, when he was reading the book of Jeremiah, he prayed. He went right to prayer. And that whole, most all of chapter 9 is one long prayer of Daniel. So I'll, I guess I don't want to belabor the point. He prayed. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. <clears throat> If we have any hope of living the Christian life in an unchristian culture, we must be like Daniel and his companions, praying for strength, courage, discernment, praying for the land that God has put us in, praying for divine intervention, praying for open doors to share the gospel, share truth, praying for God's kingdom to come, that his will would be done on earth as in heaven, praying and persevering in prayer, just like Daniel did throughout his life, persevering in prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, keeping on, asking, seeking, and knocking. Which brings me then to the last character trait that I'd like to point out, which is perseverance. Persevering in faith. By the time Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he was an old man. We started out with him being a teenager. By the time he's thrown into the lion's den, he's probably 80 maybe older, 80 years old. But he persevered in faith throughout all his changing um, kings, throughout all the changes that he went through. He persevered in faith. We're told that after that night in the lion's den, Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him because he had trusted in God. That's what he did at the beginning. That's what he was doing at the end. As the writer of Hebrews put it, by faith, he shut the mouths of lions. By faith. Even after this, under the, the king, the, the last king that he served under uh, Cyrus, uh, the Persian, he persevered to the end. As far as we know, he never bodily made it back to Jerusalem. But by his perseverance and faith, he made it to the new Jerusalem, that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith and patience, he inherited the promises. We're talking about perseverance, persevering in faith. So those are some characteristics. Just in closing then, as our culture grows more and more pagan, May we, by the grace of God, be more and more like Daniel and his companions, fearing God, showing respect for others, being prudent, pursuing excellence, studying God's word, being people of prayer, and persevering in faith to the end. <clears throat>